Welcome, everyone. My name is Liam Bailey. I'm Global Head of Research at Knight Frank. And today, we're going to take a deep dive into the world of prime residential rentals, and we're going to focus on the New York market. So we recently released the latest findings from the Knight Frank Prime Global Rental Index, which reveals a market largely in boom mode around the world. The top line is that rents in the 10 cities covered by the index rose by nearly 8% in the year to September. That's an increase on the 7.5% observed in Q2. And the latest data confirms that rents in the sector are rising at a rate of three and a half times their long-term pre-pandemic trend. So lots going on in the sector. And to help me unpack all of the detail, I'm joined by the one and only New York real estate guru, Jonathan Miller. Welcome to you, Jonathan. Thank you for joining. Great to be with you, Liam. So New York has seen over the last couple of years the most extraordinary rental performance really since the end of the pandemic. Could you just sort of start us off by explaining what's happened to rents and the experience for landlords and tenants over the past two or three years? Yeah, the rental market in New York City was initially decimated by the uh, the lockdown in the early days of the pandemic. But within about a year, it really started to rebound. And in fact, the last two years, it's been on a tear. We've seen uh, tremendous growth, something in terms of the overall market, we've seen rents up about 20 to 25% above pre-pandemic levels. The same goes for the luxury market. We look at it what you refer to as prime, uh, we refer to as the top 10% of the market, the luxury market. Prices are up almost 20% from pre-pandemic level, which would be late 2019, essentially. And in fact, we're seeing rents crack $100 a foot consistently. In fact, the price per foot for luxury rentals in Manhattan is hitting an all-time record high. Now, in the report uh, that we produced, we called out New York and Singapore because both cities had seen not only very strong growth, as you, as you noted, uh, over the last couple of years, but in the most recent quarter, they ticked down from kind of that record level you mentioned. There was, seemed to be a slowing in Q3. Yeah, the way to think about it is prices peaked in July, August of this year, after a two-year, very steep ascent in price. And we've seen prices moderate or slip slightly in the last three or four months. Not a correction, but just not seeing the rapid ascent that they were. And I think part of it might be what I call an affordability threshold is being reached, that they've been rising so rapidly that there's only so so much the consumer can absorb in a short period of time. There was a lot of talk, Jonathan, about New York struggling to get back to work, get back to the office over the last couple of years. Is it surprising that rents in the centre of, of Manhattan and so on have done so well if people have been willing to kind of stay at home in the suburbs and so forth? Yeah, I I think that's a large reason for some of the disbelief on how the residential market is performing. We refer widely in New York to something called Castle Data, which tracks card swipes on office towers, and it can't get above 50% occupancy, basically, in terms of use. So there's this big disconnect between 
the connection between where you live and where you work, and that's all work from home. So the expectation with you know, weakness in the office market would be residential, would be right behind it, and it has not at all. We've been seeing record prices in a robust rental market for the last couple of years. So it makes sense, especially with luxury doing a little bit better than the overall market, is that I think the more affluent or more your net worth, the higher your, you know, the amount of wealth you have, the higher the probability that you're more mobile. That's why we're seeing, you know, many people work in Florida, I mean, live in Florida. And then as you move up in sort of the corporate hierarchy, you know, maybe they're only going, coming back to the office, you know, once a month. And that's certainly very doable for, you know, certain strata of the economy. Just thinking through these record rents and the levels they've reached and the affordability limits, as you, as you mentioned them, what's the policy environment? If um, Even if rents are falling back a little bit or slowing, um, tenants are still having a tough time. So is, is anyone advocating caps or rental limits? We're not seeing that, not in the sort of open market environment. The challenge is that it's slow and difficult to build more housing in New York. And uh, we're a market that needs a lot more housing to improve affordability. This has been the mantra for over 100 years, and it's no different now. In fact, it's probably more chronically uh, an issue just because, you know, the region has had a very vibrant, robust economy coming out of the pandemic, and there's just not enough housing. But just thinking through that, the, the stat you mentioned, the 50% occupancy of offices, is there is there a thought that actually that limits on housing delivery could be met through conversion of office space? Is that a thing that's been discussed? Oh, it is uh, widely discussed early and often, as we say. It would be very difficult. It makes a lot of sense, right? You have rapidly rising prices, drop in affordability, and you have empty office space. You know, so let's convert the problem or the challenge of converting office space. It'll happen on the margin. It's already, there's examples of it. The challenge is that to convert an office certificate of occupancy to a residential certificate of occupancy to many developers is a non-starter. It's extremely expensive. And if you have a large office building, in many ways, the floor plates are too large. So you're not going to have light unless you want to have an apartment that's 20 by 200 feet, right? It's it's a challenge. Then you have to cut holes through the building on a, you know, 50-story building. Like, it's very challenging. It's not impossible, but it's not going to be this sort of the overall quick fix that the market really needs. And just thinking about New York's performance, I know that rents have been rising strongly in Miami particularly, but also other cities. How do you see New York against other key cities in America? Is it standing out on its own or is it is it part of a wider trend? So the New York market continues to be late to the party. And what I mean is the rental market was sort of late to respond to uh, the boom. It boomed after many other markets had started nine months earlier. And that was largely because New York had this image of being the global hotspot for COVID when during the pandemic. And it took like nine months for the vaccines to come out. When they came out, all of a sudden, New York was playing catch up, catch up, catch up. Now is starting to peak and you're seeing rents slip a little bit. But 
other markets that started six months ago, like Miami. N- not that Miami is, you know, rents are low. We say rents are slipping. They're slipping off of record highs. And so I'd say New York is probably a little bit behind the rest of the country, but not by much in terms of relief on pricing. Finally, just to ra- round up, um, with the Fed likely to cut, everyone believes, in 2024, What's the outlook for investors in terms of New York market going forward? Well, the betting money on the Fed is that they're going to begin cutting rates, at least with two rates uh, by mid-2024. And in fact, we are seeing calls from different investment banks that are moving up from the end of 24 to the middle of 24 in terms of when they cut rates. The result of that is uh, lower mortgage rates. And it's really interesting because right now, there's normally between the 10-year treasuries and the 30-year fixed rate, which is the dominant uh, type of financing in this market, you tend to see a 1.5% to 2% spread. If that were the case, because there's such risk aversion by lenders right now, we'd have mortgage rates right now almost 1% less than they are. So just by the Fed not doing anything for the next six, seven, eight months, we're probably, and we have been for the last month, seeing rates really start to drift lower. And that's starting to cause activity to uptick. When rates are actually cut, I think there's going to be an oversized demand or a a stimulus for demand more than just, you know, a typical 25 basis point cut would generate. Because in many ways, the Fed interrupted right in the middle of this frenzied boom in the U.S. Um, And there's a lot of unsatiated demand. I don't know if that's a word. And so I'm pretty optimistic for activity to occur. And not only that, but the biggest problem, Liam, with the housing market in in the U.S. and including New York, is that inventory is very scarce. And the reason inventory is very scarce is because rates rose so quickly that someone with a a 3 or 4% 30-year fixed isn't likely to want to become a seller and then buy when rates are above 7%. I think the way to look at it is as rates slip, the spread between what people are locked in at and what the new rates are brings more and more people into the market. I think it's incredibly unrealistic to think that rates are going to return to the three or four percent levels that we experienced during the frenzy. That was a one-time anomaly, but I do think there's going to be oversized or outsized reaction to any kind of cuts next year. And that's good for housing and housing demand. Well, a more active 2024, I think, is the takeaway. Just in time for a final plug, Jonathan, um, you produce a series of market notes for our partners in the US, Douglas Elliman. How do our listeners access those? Oh, well, thank you. You can go to millersamuel.com and right on the homepage, uh, there's a sign up called Housing Notes and it comes out every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern time and I've been writing it for about eight years and we've got a big following and if you want to know and you like humor, um, I, and you want to know anything about housing, that's your go-to place, I think. Thank you, Jonathan. The full Prime Global Rental Index report that I mentioned at the beginning of this session is available in the link in my bio, as always. 
Jonathan, that's so kind of you. Thank you for taking the time today to join me. My pleasure. And thank you to all of you for tuning in. It just leaves me finally to remind you all that for more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note that goes out each Monday, Wednesday and Friday or any one of our sector newsletters. All of this is detailed in our show notes. And please subscribe to Intelligence Talks wherever you get your podcasts. 